Welcome to Speaking Out. We're mainly discussing land rights and economic empowerment. Aboriginal enterprises in mining, exploration and energy. To talk a little bit about uh, Indigenous constitutional recognition. Those With Larissa Barrett. It's a fresh view coming on. ABC Radio. Everything is really heightened through sport and so... There's a lot of stories that I that I felt like I sh- I wanted to kind of reveal and talk about through this book, and hopefully um, for those of for those who haven't had those experiences, this um, might be a, a real conversation starter. And for those that have had those experiences, um, that this will be affirming and give people a sense of being seen. Personal Score, a new book from poet and writer Ellen Van Nieuwen, and Common Threads, building a transformative First Nations movement. It is tough work and they know how much it takes a toll on people and their bodies and our lives. And and so it's not often that we get, you know, to put a few days aside where we get to like dream about what the future is that we're working towards and talk about the challenges that we have, talk about the ideas that we have, and then look at how we build plans for making that possible. So was very, very special and it's one that, yeah, I hope that we will be able to do again. This is Speaking Out. I'm Larissa Berendt. The ability of sport to transcend gender, race, culture and religion is something which has been the focus of intense media coverage these past few months. It's not the first time these conversations have been had, but recent incidents of alleged racial abuse has seen sporting codes grapple with how best to address these often complex issues. This year also marks the 30th anniversary of former AFL player Nicky Winmar's stand against racism. The iconic photo of him lifting his shirt and pointing at his chest is one of the most powerful images in sporting history. Ellen Van Nieuwen is an editor, educator, award-winning author and celebrated poet. An open queer non-binary person who uses the pronouns they, them, Ellen has been winning literary awards since 2013 when they won the prestigious David Uniapen Award. Ellen has gone on to write several books, including two poetry collections, Comfort Food and Throat, and their forthcoming release, Personal Score, Sport, Culture, Identity, aims to explore sport's often complex relationship with race, gender and sexuality from a First Nations perspective. Ellen Van Nieuwen, welcome to Speaking Out. Hey, thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up and who around you helped shape your worldview, just, you know, for people who aren't familiar with you. Well, I'm Queensland. My Moba Malanjali from the Yugambeh Language Group, which is uh, southeast Queensland, just south of Brisbane. And I actually grew up in Brisbane in the northern suburbs. My mum's Aboriginal and my dad's Dutch. So... Me and my brother grew up having, you know, two big families and, yeah, growing up in the northern suburbs of Brisbane. And tell me, when you were growing up, when did you start to develop a love of writing and was it matched with a love of reading? Yes, well, there's. I think there was three sort of strong loves that came into play from a young age. That was from my mum, the love of reading, creativity which eventually led to writing. I also had a really amazing grade one teacher who kind of was a bit of support for me in later years as well. And she encouraged me to write my first story at age five. And I came back home with a big smile on my face. And I said to mom, I'm going to be a writer when I grow up. So mom still has that little 
piece of paper where I wrote my first story, but also a love for sport, which was in some ways inspired my, by my dad, who was a football or a soccer coach, but also having a big Murray family that that loved all sorts of sports as well. So I was very actively pursuing both sport and reading and writing when I was a young person. I love that this new book of yours brings together some of those loves. And one of the things I love about your writing is it's so brave and bold and unexpected. And when I first received the book, I was told you had a new book coming out. I obviously thought I didn't know what it was going to be, but I had assumed it might be poetry. But I was so delighted to see that it was this uh, wonderful book that brings together these passions that you have, but obviously thinks about them in a much deeper way. So I want to unpack some of the wonderful, diverse writing you have in this book. And I guess one of the questions you ask fundamentally as a premise for bringing these together is, what does it mean to play a sport on sovereign land as a First Nations person? And I wonder if you can share a few reflections of that with us to give us a taste of some of the things you explore in the book. I definitely knew I wanted to write about sport. And then, like you said, it was about finding the container to hold all of these thoughts and ideas that I was having about sport. I thought it might at one stage be fiction, but it ended up being in the form of creative nonfiction, just because I think this container really gives me the flexibility that I need because I'm able to shape shift from journalism to to memoir, to very personal memoir, to writing about history, and also to have some poetic and some lyrical moments in the work as well. And I think it really does come down to those really early memories and really formative memories of I started traveling to play games at the age of 11 and being in the car with mum and dad and traveling across Queensland and thinking, I uh, started thinking then, you know, whose who's land am I on? What, what stories are here? And so that really kind of shaped my way of thinking about country. And I just thought well, something that I just feel is really absent in mainstream dialogue is is thinking, you know, sport is is a neutral thing. It's something that's removed from country. Um, and it's, and when we talk about sport, um, we are essentially uh, talking about, as you said, playing on sovereign land, playing on, on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander land. So the book Personal Score concludes with a list of things to think about. That, that I think I never really try to answer some of the questions that I have in this book, but hopefully there's a transfer and there's a generous offering in some of these things I'm thinking about that that other people might have the answers for. So some of my questions around playing on sovereign land are thinking about ideas of ceremony, hideness, access, uh, care for water, and treading carefully, um, just to give you a few examples. It's one of the lovely things about the book. You are in conversation with us in a way. You meditate. You're not prescriptive. But at the same time, I found one of the things that you write about that I really connected with is the role that the process of sport plays in shaping our relationships with our 
family and our particularly mm. our parents. And there was much of what you write about the connection it gave you with your dad that reminded me of the connection that I had with mine, who uh, I could always get more attention from if I'd go to the football with him. <laughs> so I guess what I was really interested in uh, that that uh, comes through in some of the um, the ideas in the book, but also through the the anecdotes, is um, sport is both. Uh, it's fascinating because it's sort of such a personal thing. You've got wonderful stories about your own experiences uh, with your family, your own experiences with with, uh, playing sport. But at the same time, this is a realm where deep national conversations take place. We see national conversations about racism. And as you so eloquently look at in your book, we see national conversations about what it means to live on this country. Um, And I was wondering how you um, reflect on that tension between the fact that sport can be so personal and intimate, but also be uh, so broad and national at the same time? Oh, that's such a good question. I really appreciate it. I think that was why I was so attracted to writing about sport because it opens up so many of these conversations. Um, I think sport is a definite conversational starter in our country and there's so many dualities and complexities and stories and stories about sport about stories. And I think um, sport particularly shows and reveals what a country is all about. So, um, you know, some of my favourite athletes um, that are also exceptional people, um, Kathy Freeman, Ash Barty, um, Adam Goods, um, uh, and, you know, really just show how incredible um, and strong um we are as people, um, but sport can also reveal a racist underbelly um, of a colonial nation state that has not yet addressed its past. Um, and so it can be a breeding ground for bigotry that continues to to reproduce over and over again. Um, and it's so frustrating. It's so frustrating to see um, 30 years on from um Nikki Winmar's um, really powerful stance um, that we're having the same conversation and still um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander uh, professional players um, are subject to racial abuse by, by spectators and now with the, the added of, of the online and the social media as well. Um, and uh, still um, there's no... There's nothing that that is 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 coming to 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 stop this, and um, it seems like there's there's much more that needs to be done um, to unpack not just sport at a at a professional level, but at all all of its different le- levels at a grassroots level, um, and also look at it historically as well to kind of really just think well how how much injustice has happened and and how much um how much does the story of racism in Australia um have its tentacles um in um in sport um as it does in so many aspects of um our society um but sport can be such a um such a place of belonging as well. It can be a place of belonging and unbelonging. And that's what I mean about the dualities. Um, and I think it's really, um, I think I was definitely thinking about um, 
a younger generation and thinking about how a lot of this sort of starts at a very early age um, and uh, how um, kids are, are, are treated differently um, because of, you know, maybe because of the, the skin colour or maybe because um, they're seen as too feminine or too masculine or too this or too that um, and how that can really have such a, a negative impact on how they they think about themselves. Um, but at the same time, um, sport can really tell us and teach us um, about belief and about and uh, and how we can believe in ourselves and how uh, our families and our communities believe in us. And we can apply that belief to not just sport, but to, to any um, element of our lives. Uh, and we see that with events like the Koori Knockout, not just being about uh, winning and losing and beating the opposition, um, but really about well-being and community and creating connections. Um, and that's what we do as Blackfellas when we um, create our own sporting events. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot to think about in this book and there's a lot. I, I Hopefully this is just going to be the start of um, more work from other people about and about thinking about some of these questions that this, this, that this book raises. I, I've no doubt it will. And I guess I just wanted to pick up on one thing that really struck me uh, because you do invite us to think deeply about the ongoing conversation um, and confronting the history of racism in sport and um, in a way also looking at other uh, barriers, thinking particularly we now talk much more about the way that female athletes are treated. So the, it's discussion around sport, discussion around women athletes have, have been ongoing and increasing conversations that are highly visible. But it struck me in reading uh, your book that actually the discussion about the relationship between sport and queer and non-binary people it seems like a very embryonic conversation. It's like we have not really engaged in that space as much as we have in issues of racism and in, in um, issues of the profile of female athletes. Um, and it does strike me that that is a new area really to have some conversations. And I wondered what your reflections were um, around that because I feel like in this space you're starting um, some very important but perhaps uh, what will be difficult conversations for many people. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, I think when I was thinking, well, what, you know, I think people often people say to, to you that you you write the book that you need to write. And so often I, I couldn't even really articulate why, why I was writing this book. Um, and it was a process of many years of, of putting it down and picking it back up again. But then, you know, you talk about the absence of queer perspectives, of non-binary perspectives about sport. And that I think that was a driving factor because, I you know, I thought about some, you know, excellent books that I had written I'd read so um you know John Maynard has a has has a work work about Aboriginal soccer tribe and and other work of of his and and there's been other books um about First Nations athletes and but there hasn't been a huge amount of writing from uh 
a queer perspective. There's been more work from female perspectives, um, but not from queer or any LGBTIQ plus perspectives. So I thought it was a really important thing to to write about. Um, and I think, as you said, it is a space that is desperately needed, I think, um, particularly when we think about how much sport plays a role in um, our society. And um, unfortunately for, particularly for trans athletes, the majority of the conversation about trans athletes is about exclusion or inclusion. Um, And it's not just about people that play sport and their achievements and their lives. And so in particular, I also have dedicated part of this book in, in having a conversation with trans people and their relationship with sport. And for me, growing up playing playing women's sport for, you know, for 20 years and um, really feeling like and, and, and being having a lot of teammates that identified as LGBT um, and also in myself really never really feeling like I identified with a binary gender um, sport. It is a kind of a collision of binaries um, because um, everything is really heightened through sport. Um, and so there's a lot of stories that I that I felt like I, sh- I wanted to kind of reveal and talk about through this book. And hopefully um, for those of for those who haven't had those experiences, this um, might be a, a real conversation starter. And for those that have had those experiences, um, that this will be affirming and give people a sense of being seen, I think. So, um, yeah. So, I was going to ask you that because I think one of the interesting things for a First Nations writer, I mean, you've got an enormous following in the First Nations community. Um, it's probably clear from the way I'm gushing, you're one of my favourite writers, but you also obviously have a very high profile more generally and have a large non-Indigenous audience. And I wonder if you're, if you could share with us what you're hoping those two very different audiences will take from this particular work. I think... You know, I'm writing for both audiences. I'm really writing in some ways in dialogue with other mob, whereas when when I write uh, for, for a non-Indigenous audience in mind, it might be about opening up a conversation. For both, it's it's a way of, for me, I'm, I'm writing a book that I, I, I personally want to read. So I'm thinking about writing with love and writing with love for country um, against hate and bigotry about sport, leaving my mark. And I'm really preoccupied, I think, about ideas of fairness. Um, And that comes up in the book again and again. I also did write this book with with the help of a lot of people and a lot of interviews and um, a lot of discussions with teammates and, and First Nations athletes and queer athletes and and trans athletes so in some ways this is a this is an in an expansion and a, and a weave and i'm really 
it's it's actually a relief to just you know hand it over and finish it and and um let those conversations be had with with other people and and in other places so i think i think every every reader will get get something different out of this book well, I loved it. I'm going to recommend it to everybody. Thank you so much for giving us this wonderful work that I think absolutely will um, inspire lots of conversations, deep reflection. And as you say, there are voices in here that I feel I haven't heard before and, and I know uh, the people those voices reflect will be very heard. So thank you for this wonderful book, Your Wisdom, and for spending some time with us on Speaking Out. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Ellen Van Nieven is a poet and writer. Their new book, Personal Score, Sport Culture Identity, is out next week through UQP. You're listening to Speaking Out. It just comes down to showing, sharing, you know, respecting. The world from an Indigenous perspective on ABC Radio. This is Speaking Out on ABC Radio, Radio National, Radio Australia, on podcast and the ABC Listen app. I'm Larissa Berendt and if you like what you're hearing, why not rate us on your app and that way other people can find us and hear our stories as well. Right now, conversations are happening across the country about our shared past and our collective vision for the future. Social justice advocate Amelia Telford will join me shortly. For several years now, she's been working to build a network of young First Nations leaders from across Australia. First, though, some music from Mao Power and Benny Walker. Fly away. 
so focused Homes we seed Heals the broken Omnipotent When divine laws intervene in my opus Raw emotions got my mind exploding Laws were coded, rules were broken Karma told me love November rains With guns and roses It's insane, art bleeds of love in the pain From a stroke of a pen You can't create a change Walk the path of the lotus The missions to empower Grow from understanding Turn muddy waters to flowers These are written Stories of journeys I never spoke Looking at life through a broken kaleidoscope Distorts hope Faith alone was the reason That locked me on this road Now I'm on that final stretch, baby I'm coming home Longing for better days A quiet island life Waiting for that day where I could hang up that mic But for now we keep it moving One more song to be sung Laying down that foundation for a kingdom to come Tara Strett Islander, singer-songwriter Mal Power, alongside Benny Walker with the song Blue Lotus. This is Speaking Out. That's the key to it all, keeping connected to country. On ABC Radio. Amelia Telford isn't just an environmentalist. She was also the National Director of the SEED Indigenous Youth Climate Network and is now the First Nations Justice Director at Australian Progress. Winning several awards for her tireless work and creating networks of First Nations conservationists, environmentalists and change makers, Amelia is a passionate advocate for the preservation of First Nations cultural knowledge. Amelia Telford, welcome to Speaking Out. Thanks so much for having me. I wonder if we could just start with you telling us where you grew up and who was really influential in shaping your worldview. I'm a Bundjalung and South Sea Islander woman. I was born in Tweed Heads on the north coast of New South Wales and lived most of my life a bit further south. So I um, went to school in Lismore and, yeah, my family are still living around the Evans Head area. And so my family had such a big impact on my life, in particular mum and dad. Dad is Aboriginal and South Sea Islander and then mum is a white woman, Pakia, from New Zealand and you know, I think so much of their life and impact that their parents had on them is what has really shaped me in a lot of ways. Like growing up, I think we just witnessed so much of the hardship of what mum and dad went through being multi-race family, but also seeing the way that mum's white family reacted to her being with a black man and then the way that intergenerational trauma that my dad broke a lot of cycles within our family and ended up doing a whole lot of work at home around Lismore 
in the community, starting an organisation called Rekindling the Spirit and working with families impacted by drugs and alcohol, domestic violence, sexual abuse and the challenges that our communities face at times. And a lot of what mum and dad constantly did was instill values in my brothers and I where we were always taught to ask ourselves about the impact that decisions that we would make or the actions that we would take, like how that would impact others, both in terms of people around us, but generations ahead of us and reflecting on generations before us as well. So yeah, there's a lot to unpack there, but realistically it's, yeah, it's family that has absolutely shaped who I am and and the way I see the world. So for you personally, obviously you're a different generation to your parents who sort of helped shape your political activism, your sense of social justice. I can hear it when you talk. But for you with your generation, what do you see as the key challenges? Mm, Yeah, it's a great question. I feel really deeply that, I mean, I often get curious as to every, whether everyone feels like this in their generation, but I do feel like the youngest generation right now has a really interesting, but also like critical role to play in shaping the future of our world where, you know, I think when we're more connected than we ever have been, we have access to so much information. We are experiencing this place in the world where we, as First Nations young people, like we know how important our culture is and and our our country is and, and learning from our elders and and learning about our responsibility to ourselves, to, to one another, to the land. And we're hyper aware of that. People are constantly wanting to do good. I feel like our generation right now are in this really interesting position where we're more connected than ever. We have more access to information than ever. We you know, are learning from so many of our old people who have been fighting this fight for a long time, but also we are in a position where we're like taking on a lot of responsibility because we are so responsible to to ourselves and, and to community and to country. And we take that really seriously. And so we we want to be a part of change, you know, and, and I think there's incredible movements right across this country, but also right across the world for justice, you know, whether that's First Nations justice, climate justice, gender justice, as being led by young people. And I feel really lucky in a way like to be a part of that but there's also like a huge burden that a lot of us feel too and so I think it's like we need to be looking out for one another and looking for ways for how do we stay strong in all of this because it's not easy but we have this you know for many First Nations young people we have this fire burning in our bellies and we know that we've got to stand up for what's right and do whatever it takes. But it is a marathon, it's not a sprint. And that's something that I think a lot of our elders have reminded us because, yeah, sometimes we go bullet a gate. Um, but we also have to look at, you know, the bigger picture here of what change is possible, but knowing that it's a long game as well. Well, you certainly have a lot of energy and you were even younger than you are now when I first met you and you were <laughs> doing amazing work then and you haven't stopped. What can you tell us about Australian progress and common threads? I have recently joined the team at Australian Progress, which is an organisation that people may or may not be aware of. Really, it's all about building power and strength of our movements for social change and across a whole range of different issues. And I think what is so powerful about that is bringing people together, whether they're working in health or housing or disability justice or climate change or whatever it might be, and seeing ways that we can work together with one another to achieve like the common goals and vision that we have. And so 
it was really exciting when I came on board a few months back and we were talking about the vision to put on a big summit to bring together Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander campaigners and organisers, storytellers, activists, academics, you know, people working towards creating change for our communities, bringing us together for a few days um, to look at not only, I guess, what's our vision for change, but also how can we build, you know, the strength of our movements, build our skills, our connections, relationships, strategize together and plan regardless of what's going on in the political context. But I think also in a year where First Nations affairs are front and centre felt so timely to, to do that. And so, yeah, it was pretty amazing. On the 30th and 31st of March, we brought together almost 300 First Nations people from across the country together in Brisbane for two days. And it was very powerful. And thank you so much for being there, Larissa. There was incredible spectrum of people who joined us both as speakers and facilitators, but everyone had so much to bring. Like even all of the participants were not only bringing the work that they do, but I mean, 300 people is, is not a lot of people, but I think there was so much value in knowing that all of those people were going to take back what they learned and talked about and um, share that with their communities as well. So yeah, it was a pretty powerful event. I was going to ask you what it felt like for, you, for me to be in a room with people who I had grown up admiring their work and then to also see a whole generation of younger people coming through with this new energy and kind of reinvigorating us older people. It was really <laughs> powerful. But from your perspective, did you get a moment since you were so thick in the organising it to actually reflect on what it felt to be like in that room with all those people such different backgrounds, but all working tirelessly in different ways for change in the First Nations community. I have to be completely honest. For me, I didn't get to process it all until evening and a few days afterwards where it wrapped up because I was quite busy in, in the sort of behind the scenes organising of it all. But afterwards, it just was overwhelmed by messages coming in and calls and conversations with people talking about how impactful it was on them. And I think that yeah, that was just the absolute gold for me, like seeing that what we set out to achieve, we really did achieve and people saying how this is a space that they want to continue to see our mob be able to come together and, and feel that power because, like I said earlier, it is tough work and they know how much it takes a toll on people and their bodies and our lives and and so it's not often that we get, you know, to put a few days aside where we get to like dream about what the future is that we're working towards and talk about the challenges that we have, talk about the ideas that we have, and then look at how we build plans for making that possible. So it was very, very special. And it's one that, yeah, I hope that we will be able to do again. I was going to ask you, what are the next steps? There's still lots of next steps coming out of it. But I think just so that listeners are aware, like we had sessions where the whole room was together, but then we also were able to break out into different issue-based areas. And so some of those included talking about protecting country and cultural heritage and climate change, talking about health and housing and disability justice, talking about education and, you know, telling our stories our way and reviving languages. We talked about organising in our communities on the referendum and having those important conversations, looking at how that then impacts truth-telling and treaty. And there was one more, what was it? But yeah, across all those different issue-based areas, we had incredible people leading, oh sorry, the last one of course, important issues that many of our communities are, are fighting and working on is around deaths in custody and law reform and justice. And so there's all of these campaigns that communities are running right across the country. And so much of what we were trying to do was 
for people who are working in those spaces to talk about how we can build collaborations and support one another in resourcing or building strategy or whatever it might be. And so we're we're still in conversation with everyone about, you know, sort of where to next and what the long-term plans are. But ultimately a big part of our role in Australian Progress is to look at how we continue to build ongoing capacity and providing like trainings, whether it be on on media skills and having more more of our mob um, out there as, you know, um, uh, getting our voices out um, and being heard, whether it be in fundraising, you know, to, to build a resourcing for, for more and more of this work, whether it be in, you know, campaigning and, and lobbying government or, you know, organising and bringing people together, um, continuing to provide, yeah, that ongoing training and support um, is a big part of, of what we will continue to do. And, and our hope is that that, um, you know, leads towards um, yeah, change in outcomes on the campaigns that communities are leading across the spectrum of issues. There's often an observation uh, fairly made that, you know, there's often an expectation from non-Indigenous people that Indigenous people, First Nations people will have the same view about lots of things. And um, obviously, um, there's such a diversity of views and a diversity of politics. It's one of the things that's come out, I think, strongly in the campaign around the voice to parliament referendum is that actually there are a spectrum of views within the First Nations community. So I was just wondering what your reflection is working on a project called Common Threads. When you bring a group together, do you find that there is uh, a, a lot of division or do you find that you can find common ground or do you, do you find that it depends on the issue? I think that, you know, any community has a, a diversity of opinions on any particular topic and I think there's huge strength in that. You know, I think often for our mob it, it gets used against us. Actually, you know, so much of what we were trying to achieve in putting on common threads was I guess, embracing the tension that can exist in bringing people from all different, um, I guess, perspectives together. And so we were very intentional about that. We knew that we're never going to expect that we're all going to get on the same page and uh, agree on on everything. But one of the big things we can find is that those common values that we share and the vision that we're working towards. And then, you know, from there, you've just got to respect that there's going to be lots of different pathways towards getting to that vision and lots of different roles that people play. And whether you're, you know, sort of lobbying from the inside, whether you're, you know, out on the streets protesting from the outside, like whatever it might be, like we've got to be able to see how those things all contribute towards the bigger picture of what it takes to create change. And so it's tough because there is tension. and But I think that We owe it to ourselves to know that we can create spaces where we can have these tough conversations, but do so with with care and respect and and hear each other out. And I think there's absolute power in that because you've got to be, I guess, a bit uncomfortable at times and and people experience that really differently. But having those, I mean, my dad calls them courageous conversations (laughs) and being, you know, brave to sort of put it out there, knowing that you create a bit of friction, but actually that's what does spark that change. So I think it's something that we we shouldn't really be scared of. Like I think we need to embrace and 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 then be able to respect, you know, the different pathways and different roles that people play. Well, just finally, how can people find out more or get involved with your work? 
all of this work fits within the umbrella of passing the message stick. That's where I guess Common Threads came from and has been a partnership between both Australian Progress and GetUp and then a whole range of different organisations and and funders who made it happen. And so the best place that I'd um, recommend people to go to is passingthemessagestick.org.au where you see a whole lot of the messaging research that we've been doing, looking at how we shift and build narratives for First Nations justice and self-determination. And there's actually a whole um, big research report we've been doing that we'll be sharing very soon. And so if you head to the website and sign up to access the resources, to stay in touch about different events, you'll hear from us soon about some more events that we'll be doing into the future or head to the Common Threads website, commonthreads.org.au, which will keep updated about future events, knowing that it'll definitely be something that happens again whether it be next year or the year after, I'm not sure yet, but we would love to be a space that different mob from right across the country have the opportunity to be a part of. Well, we'll keep watching. I've always admired your work. I love your energy and your passion. And thank you so much for spending some time with us on Speaking Out. Thanks, Larissa. I appreciate it. And right back at you. Amelia Telford is a social justice advocate and First Nations Justice Director at Australian Progress. Speaking out with Larissa Barron. The knowledge, the culture, the arts, the language, the law and customs of Indigenous people. On ABC Radio. As you heard earlier, more than 300 First Nations advocates and campaigners from across the country came together in Brisbane recently to build movements and collaborations across a range of issues, organisations and communities. The Common Threads Summit was seen as an opportunity to discuss prominent Indigenous issues such as law reform, protecting country, climate and cultural heritage, racism and inequality, and the upcoming referendum on an Indigenous voice to Parliament. Speakers at the event included Auntie Mary Graham. My name is Mary Graham. I was actually born in Brisbane, but I grew up grew up in my father's people's area, the Yugambeh language-speaking people from the Gold Coast, actually. And my own actual group is the Commemary here on the, on the Gold Coast. And my mother's side, she was Waka Waka from the Burnett River District. She was actually on um, Reserve Sherberg or Baramba, as she always called it, but it became uh, Sherberg. So I've got relatives all around southeast Queensland, actually, through that. My father, they lived all the time on the Gold Coast. He'd wanted down here. She had to be, as they used to say about the Queensland legislation, you could be exempted every now and then. Big groups of people were exempted from that legislation. My father's mob, though, here, were never under that legislation, or if it was, it was widespread, you know, throughout the whole state of Queensland. But they never took any notice of it. They just went ahead and living as they always did here, very independent. And I guess there was the same kind of violence, you know, racist violence in the early days. That was here too. Plenty of stories here about that, like everywhere else in the country. But they fought back really quite firmly, really determined their own way of life here and just stood up against any kind of racist or violent behaviour from Europeans here. So I grew up really with that idea of what kind of people were these who came in and did what they like in our country and so on. So we always did have a very firm idea of whose country this is actually which I got from both my parents and all my relatives, actually. I guess that influenced my thinking and my way of acting. And later on, definitely influenced my own way of writing and thinking about politics. That that was the biggest thing for me, 
was to try to find the answer to how come these things happened in this country, you know, in our country. Where did this idea of colonization happen? Where did it come from? Anyway, I've been on that path ever since back. I am forever beholden to my mom, especially my parents, for helping me in all sorts of ways, emotionally, yeah, every every different way you can think of, uh, to continue that. Working at a, an organisation early on, as you're much younger, called Childcare, it started out to be a small organisation created by the health centre at the, at the time. And gradually it grew to do quite a large stuff. I had a wonderful board members, people that we worked with, and the community. Most of all, I learned a great deal from the community. It was, it was childcare, as in working with families, especially women and children, uh, helping them with all aspects of life, really. Looking for accommodation, domestic violence, the children, uh, giving their mothers a break, you know. But also there was a fostering uh, processes too. But their life, there were a whole lot of interesting things done. Like we actually, at the time, helped the Queensland help. Well, worked out having changing legislation with the Queensland government actually, uh, and they were kind of big things too. But the most that impacted me was uh, the great um, strength of Aboriginal women. Because I came from a big family, seven brothers, no sisters. A very strong mother, very, very strong, very tough from Sherbert. And, you know, she wouldn't put up with anything from um, racist people or the government or whoever was trying to put us down at any time, you know. But, uh, and I saw this same strength, even though a lot of mothers, wives, mothers were having the hardest time, you know. And it's sort of, in a funny kind of way, it helped me to, because by that time I was quite angry, you know, angry young person. Uh, but it made me, like, uh, settle that sort of anger. But it turned into kind of more of a, a huge admiration, you know, for the soul, I suppose. We'd say spirit of, of uh, Aboriginal people, but especially women and wives and mothers and so on. So it affected my thinking and feeling that and so on. That's probably but probably it, but I I sort of realized a whole lot of things about what do you say about simply being Aboriginal and how you know people talk about the that uh, Aboriginal people have, but there's all these other qualities to that bravery, but also that really deep uh, humanitarianism or something, I don't know what happened. Um but it's to do with the spirit of being Aboriginal. Yeah, so it's sort of stayed in the back of my mind uh, after going through other experiences, trying to get to the bottom of how and why we are our people, you know, uh, the way they are. We've been victimised, but we're, being a victim is not part of our identity. Being an owner and runner of country, owning the country, running the country, because we've got our own experts People in health, people in legal, we know how to do these things. We just have to have a like a multidisciplinary team, I believe, looking at the case for Aboriginal self-governance and working like that, coming up with the policies, criticising the official policies that have never worked and don't intend to work, and we'll make up those policies and tell them how to do things. You know? In fact, if they want to talk about constitutional stuff, 
they could ask us to write a, a constitution. We'd write a constitution for them, and it'd be the best constitution in the world, probably. You know, the most civilized, highly civilized. They don't know who they're dealing with. What a, a gold mine of expert skills, wisdom, toughness. You know, they don't. You know, they don't really know what toughness is. Really, that's what I hope for the future for young people. By the time they're grown up, they're adult, they will be running the country. That's Auntie Mary Graham. She was speaking recently as part of Common Threads, a national First Nations Justice Summit held in Brisbane late last month. That's all for this week, but we'll leave you with some music from Groot Island singer-songwriter Emily Waramurra. And perhaps you're gonna take a home Chuck it on and lace to that particular track And as a matter of fact What's the essence of culture If you could just tell me that As I ran an indigenous story Shed blood, sweat and tears Through my peers for many years Trying to bring much glory To warriors and ancestors Less spiritual footprints for me I follow before me And other systems Trying to ignore the Colored MC Same time pulling me Sitting up top upon a sideline Trying to adore and suppress The murder in me So was it respect and courtesy Indebted to the beat Forget it, don't worry about it It's not accepted Never was an option for thee Same struggle and pain The black brothers gotta get through On a regular day-to-day basis, man just the same old, same old. Foot stomping, legs shaking, cries all around. The earth is quaking from stories passed down. Black, yellow, red are the colors I see. Defining the culture that's inside of me. In the water, father once said to his daughter, True story beginning with slaughter. So, without the order of water in this day and age, nowadays, I think we will remain in a never ending mind frame of pain. Sometimes going insane, but yet still trying to make a generous change for the next generation, eh? Make it go seem more reachable and plain on the It's a beginning of a new world order to work when they're forced to grow up in a world filled with dishonor, do dishonor, a kind of another, two kind of another, finding one another. So, which is what you're running to, one of forever running is what I'm eventually gonna discover. You're running, there's plenty to see. If you're looking for thee, say, stolen generation was a crazy situation. Now we're back up on the scene, rising to the top, positively elevating through the black smoke with its instruments and music. Stomping, quick. Legs shaking, cries all Creating. around. Yep. The earth is quaking from stories black passed smoke. down. Black, yellow, red are the colors I see, defining the culture that's inside of me.
the show for this week. Join us again next week when a panel of experts discuss the concepts of representation, voice and treaty. This episode of Speaking Out was produced by Jay McAllister and Manel Creed and you can email the program speakingout at abc.net.au and find us on social media via ABC Indigenous. I'm Larissa Berendt.